Hello and welcome to Motorsport Now. My name is Jade Paveley and today's guest is Jack Benyon. Now, a lot of people would have heard of Jack just through the writing that he's done through his journalist work and also through um, him competing as well. And admittedly, I was actually a little bit nervous about interviewing him and I didn't tell him this, so this will be the first time he's heard that I was a bit nervous. Um, but I was nervous because he has interviewed so many people and usually he's the one interviewing people but also he's just got so much knowledge about the sport as a whole not just rallying racing but in general and where the sport is going so I was hoping to ask the right questions hopefully I did and you've probably noticed it's a very long podcast but trust me stick in there there are so many valid points that Jack has to make so give it a go have a listen let me know what you think without any further ado here is Jack Bunyan. Yeah, so my name's Jack Benyon. I'm uh, currently a freelance journalist. I've been writing about motorsport for the last four and a half years in a professional capacity. And before that, I was at university. So I kind of came straight out of university and went straight into freelance journalism. And do you find it weird that I'm asking you questions instead of the other way around? It's never nice to be asked questions, <laughs> to be honest. I always like to be the one in control, dictating where the interview is going. But I'm also quite used to being on podcasts and, and videos and stuff now. So you kind of get a bit more used to being asked questions and stuff like that. And it kind of, um, I do a, a weekly rally podcast as well. It's kind of helped me come out of my shell a little bit because I used to find being asked questions quite awkward just because I'm not used to obviously being on that side of the, the microphone, if you like. So it's a, bit, a little bit unusual for me. Yeah, don't worry, I will be nice. But tell us about your podcast then. How long has that been going for? Uh, so Absolute Rally has been going for a, a long time. I've been involved since uh, 2016 uh, and that's just a weekly rally show with uh, Tony Simpson as a host and Ryan Champion as kind of like the star driver guest. For you then, did the passion for motorsport come first, then the journalism, all the other way around? So I've got... Um, quite a deep family connection to, to motorsport and that's how I, I kind of I kind of found motorsport before journalism so my granddad uh, was actually a foreman of Quicks Garage in Chester so whenever the RAC was on he'd be kind of underneath the cars doing the doing the dirty work in the in the olden days when um, you know teams didn't have set service teams and stuff like that they would have just the local mechanics whoever were working in the in the works dealerships at the time so proper old school rallying where it was all done on the side of the road and in car dealerships and, and stuff like that so um, my granddad's got lots of cool stories about um, I, I won't go into too much detail but driving Roger <laughs> Clark's escort around uh, Chester City Centre at one o'clock in the morning after repairing it and stuff like that so he's got some he's got some pretty cool stories and then uh, he passed that on to my dad and my dad obviously passed that on to me as well so um, we used to go to British touring car races at Alton Park which is quite close to where I'm from Chester and um, yeah obviously the RAC has been based around that kind of area various points through its history so yeah I've got quite a quite a strong connection to motorsport it's always been something that's been involved in my you know my family have been involved not always competed but more like sort of disconnected in a way I guess from some of the other people you'll have on the podcast from like an actual competition um, standpoint but it's been nice actually and lots of cool stories of uh, different stuff that's happened through um, my dad and, and my granddad as well so that's kind of what got me interested at first and then realized I didn't have enough money to to compete myself um, obviously motorsport being quite expensive and yeah I just um, I've, I've always enjoyed writing I've always enjoyed telling stories so journalism came quite naturally and it was a nice way for me to connect with motorsport um, you know in a, in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to if I hadn't have found journalism um, I think otherwise it just would have been a hobby like it is for so many other people 
So you said you've had quite a few stories from your granddad, so you know what it was like back in the day, as you like. Obviously, things have changed so much now. Do you think maybe it's a bit too straight-laced now? Or do you think that's just how things are? As you say, it's very expensive, so you've got to kind of balance spending lots of money and not being too, too much of a hooligan. What do you reckon? Yeah, obviously, modern motorsport's a lot different. There's still big companies putting money in, but I think a lot of that money goes in at the top and not so much at the bottom like it maybe used to filter down a little bit better you know 30 40 50 years ago so um it's a challenging time for people getting into motorsport i think um it's probably um in a way it's probably least popular it's ever been in terms of um actually attracting people into competing in motorsport i think we've got less competitors than we've probably probably ever had so i think that's a big kind of uh, sticking point we've got at the minute is um you know trying to get new people involved in motorsport and get them to actually compete rather than just watching or um you know watching formula one so i think to be honest we'll look back at this period i think in 30 40 years time and say that was a real defining moment of, of motorsport and we don't necessarily realize that we're going through it because we're all paying attention to what going on in in formula one in in the world rally championship and we're not necessarily paying as much attention as to what's going on in our in our national championships and our and our grassroots as well so it's a really important period where um you know the grassroots motorsport clubs and things like that um you know it, it needs a real close look at it to to real to really stimulate those grassroots because that's where the next set of competitors are going to are going to come from and it's quite an interesting time for that um that, that we're in at the minute i think because we're obviously going through this coronavirus pandemic which is um, you know, causing a lot of people to be in lockdown and, and not able to go outside and stuff like that. So obviously all competitions basically are halt, but what you can do is compete in esports and sim racing tournaments and stuff like that, which I think is a, you know, an opportunity to get people involved in, in motorsport in the future. I don't think it's like a, you know, it's not a golden egg. It's not, it's not something that's just going to fix everything overnight, but it's something that we can use to attract people to motorsport. If we can get more people competing on some simulation stuff like playstation games and stuff like that as as basic as that or going into the more kind of um, in-depth stuff like iRacing and assetto course and stuff like that so there's options out there to get people involved in motorsport in cheap ways and obviously ideally you want people out there doing autographs and stuff like that and getting a real sense of the thrill of the competition but at the same time we need to find ways to get people into motorsport at a low cost and i think you know esports and, and iRacing is a good way to do that and we've seen in this current period now, um, you know, a lot of big names, a lot of big name drivers, especially in circuit racing, are, are taking up sim racing and, and doing that to, to keep busy for fun. Um, you know, I think that's the key word. I think you don't have to treat everything motorsport like it's uh, like it's a Formula One Grand Prix or whether it's a, a World Rally Championship race. It is okay to do motorsport for fun. And, you know, lots of people have done that for decades and it's it, it serves a purpose like that. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a very interesting time, interesting time we're in. Um, and I think this is a good opportunity actually for, for people to look inward and not focus so much on, um, you know, what's going on out there in the world at the minute and actually look at what we can be doing to, to help each other out in motorsport, to stimulate different championships, to really work out what the next step is because you get so caught up in daily life and what's going on that sometimes you can kind of lose grasp of, of what's going on in the wider sense. So I think this is a good opportunity for, for everyone to kind of relax and, and take stock of everything. Do you think that maybe, obviously you touched on uh, cost then, it's such an expensive sport to get into, but like yourself, you're not just, although you have competed, there's so many other ways of getting involved with the sport. It might be marshalling, it might be, you know, running an event, it might be scrutineering. Um, but in terms of that generation coming in, interestingly, I didn't really have many friends that would go out and tinker with their cars or build something or, you know, 
I don't think any of my mates really, guy mates and girl mates, wouldn't have like known how to change their wheel or anything. Do you think maybe we've, we've just got a bit of a generation where people aren't getting their hands dirty? Yeah, I think you. I think you've definitely got a point there, and I think we're seeing the same kind of thing with with journalism as well. Um, I think it's almost a direct comparison because obviously uh, less people in our generation, so to speak, are like you said, not getting involved with you know hands-on kind of mechanics and stuff like that. And it's the same for journalism. People aren't buying newspapers and and buying magazines, so it's it's a very it's a very direct comparison. Uh, it's something that's very similar. So I wouldn't necessarily go out and buy a newspaper or a magazine anymore. You know, I'm I'm a different kind of consumer to. I love a magazine. I absolutely love. I, it's so nice to get away from a screen. I love going through a normal book. Yeah, yeah. I love I love a book. I love a magazine. I love a newspaper, but mm. I wouldn't consume them on a daily basis like people would have done twenty or thirty years ago. So, we we are different as a generation in terms of how we consume media, and it's the mm. same for how we enter motorsport and how we deal with cars and stuff like that because it's. In, in the most part, it's because it's something people aren't taught from a young age. You know, you're not really taught to change the tire anymore. People don't really do that. You kind of go to a garage or or whatever. So I think the, the way, um, you know, getting involved with working on your car, it's just changed massively over the Well, you over can't, year, can you? You just can't. Yeah. You, if someone's got a new car, there's no, like, carbs that you can set up or anything, is there? You, you have to take yeah. it to your garage. Yeah, and it's only going to get worse because the more electric motors come in and stuff like that, you know, the the more complicated to work on cars are going to be and the more difficult it's going to be for a general person to A, learn how to work with them and B, kind of modify them and, and change them and stuff like that. So that's another area where we're kind of going through it, where, where things are different and it's difficult to encourage people into actually working on your car and, and doing the, the nuts and bolts and stuff. But yeah i just want to interrupt my own podcast here just to say i will be coming back to this subject there was so much recovered with jack i didn't quite get everything in that i wanted to so i will be coming back to ask more questions about the future of motor racing in terms of electric it's a it's a good opportunity to do that now um to get hands on are still cheap while we've still got actual engines with petrol there's still an opportunity for people to, to work on cars and stuff like that so it's important to get people in front of cars again um you know i was saying about you know i was saying earlier about you know motor clubs are struggling and they need that they need that boost and you know getting people into motor clubs is a way to get people in front of a car and actually show them how it works and, and do demonstrations and stuff like that so um yeah i think you know that's that's one of that's one of the areas where work's really needed to to kind of put motors back in front of people again and um, you know get them interested in it as well because you know I'm, I'm probably a good example in the sense that um, you know I, I've been around mechanics my whole life and I don't really know that much about cars I mean I can do basic stuff like I could change a wheel and stuff like that but I'm not you know I'm not there um, you know putting a dump valve on the back of my car or anything like that you know it's not something I'd get involved with or I'd try or do you're you not know, doing any mods to your car then no you know like no, absolutely not. Do anything especially not during the current period no, definitely not. Stay at home. We can take her in the garage. You can, oh my gosh, my boyfriend's garage now is actually spotless. There's literally not an inch of dust on it. But just coming back to what we were discussing earlier, obviously there's no motorsport going on quite clearly. Um, what are you writing about? Like, what, are you finding it difficult? Or is there just so much history? Like, what kind of things are you focusing on? Uh, it's definitely difficult. But um, yeah, it wasn't a very good time to go uh, freelance just before this Ooh. kind of happened. It's not ideal. Um, but yeah, so um, I worked for Motorsport News uh, covering rallying for two and a half, three years, and then moved on to Autosport auto after that, more focused on circuit racing, um, and ended up becoming international editor for them 
which I did for just over a year. And then in March, I made the decision to to move on and, and to go freelance and to do uh, my own thing. Um, so now I'm working for a company called The Race. It's a, a new website, um, which mainly does, um, well, actually, it's, it's just got five pillars. So it covers Formula One, Formula E, IndyCar, MotoGP and eSports. And they're the only things it covers on a kind of day to day basis. So if we see something else interesting that we like, we'll cover it. But in the most part, just while it's getting set up and, you know, it's a pretty new website, we'll, we'll cover those five things. And then part of the company is uh, called Talk eSports which is a massive company based in the States. Um, and they've been running um, a new kind of tournament that's been set up while the coronavirus has, has been on, um, which is called the Race All-Star Battle. So it's got two elements to it. It's got a, it's got a cup, which is where some of the real-life drivers and some of the sort of like professional sim racers compete against each other. So we've had people like Max Verstappen, um, Jensen Button, Carlos Sainz, um, Actually, no, Carl Science hasn't done it. He's he did the virtual GP. But yeah, we've had some we've had some pretty big names do it. Um, Have you given it a go? Have you tried? No, no way. Yeah, well, I don't have a proper team set up, and I don't have a, a big name either, so I'm not. Oh, Jack, you're, well you're sort be a star on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And then we've got the the Legends Trophy as well, which um, Jensen Button, Jack Vilner, Rubens Barrichello, Juan Pablo Montoya. I've had some pretty some pretty cool people doing that. So um, on a day to day basis, there's still enough going on in the motorsport world that's keeping us busy with stuff to write about. Um, and then we've got our sort of esports tournaments happening at the weekend, and then. My job for them is um, US editor, so I'm looking after IndyCar mostly for them. So that's been um, that's been pretty good because they've got a really strong esports championship that started not long after the coronavirus period hit. So that's uh, that's that's good, and it's given me, you know, it's given me time to. Um, well, it's not giving me any time actually. It's been busier than ever, to be honest, which is which is great, and more like more than I can say for most freelance journalists out there. So I've lost a lot of work that I would have picked up around actual race cars being on track but or, or rally cars on stages um but you know in the most part my my work for the race um you know i was quite lucky to to do a deal with them at the, at the time i did because it's you know it's kept an income coming in and kept me working so i'm very grateful to them but um also it's just an amazing opportunity to be part of a, a new project like that it's a really fresh approach to to journalism it doesn't really matter whether it's written or whether it's video podcast or or, or what it is um you know it's there's no kind of um there's no connection to the past with them. Everything's forwards. Everything's looking at what we can be doing differently. There's no, um, we've done this this way before. So now we've got to do it exactly the same as we've always done it. It's always a fresher approach looking forward to, to what we can be doing differently and better and analyzing our audience and understanding what they want as well. So it's a, it's an interesting time to work with them. And obviously it's a, not the year I thought I was signing up for. Um, you know, I thought I'd be doing quite a bit of traveling to the States and watching some, uh, watching the Indy 500 and some IndyCar races, but hopefully oh. I'll get that opportunity next year and that'll be okay. You can get a nice suntan at the moment. The weather's been great. So this is <laughs> but you were, you were just name dropping like mad then. So tell me who's the most interesting person you have interviewed or spoken to. It's that, and I know you kind of tipped me off that you're going to ask me that before we started, <laughs> but I've still not really had enough time to think about it. But, um, I guess the biggest name I've ever interviewed is Lewis Hamilton, um, which uh, was really cool, actually. Really, really cool. Um, it was last year. Um, went to a, it was part of a day with Bose, one of his sponsors, the headphones company. Um, and they were running um, this kind of like manufacturer testing day where 
they got fans to sign um, a form to say we want to come to Mercedes HQ at Brooklands and we want to, um, you know, see the car and stuff like that. But they didn't tell them that Lewis Hamilton was going to be there. So these guys turned up um, and thought they were just doing a bit of product testing for Bose. So Bose claimed that they had this like Alexa device in their headphones. So the guys put the headphones on um, and it would be Lewis's voice talking. But what they didn't know was that Lewis was actually behind the screen. So he was actually there. No, um, so they thought it was like an Alexa that they were talking to and it was actually Lewis. So they asked two questions that they were supposed to ask off a sheet. And then the third question they got to ask was their own. They could ask whatever they want. And then Lewis came from behind the screen and like tapped them on the shoulder and like said, hi, Lewis Hamilton. Um, so that was good. And to be honest, it was a good uh, opportunity to get a bit of an insight into his character as well, because um, obviously you see what you read in the sun and the mirror and stuff like that. Um, well, I don't, because I don't read any of those newspapers, but I, I kind of, I kind of scroll across social media and see some of the things that they say about him and the reputation that he has and, um, you know, hear people's opinions of, of what he's like, but, you know, I try not to make any opinions of people until I've met them myself and, you know, made my own opinion. So it was good to, to interview him and meet him. He was really nice. Um, when he came over, he shook hands with everyone, shook hands with me, shook hands with all of the camera crew um, and said hello to all of them, which is really unusual for anyone really, never mind, uh, you know, uh, someone as significant as him. And then, yeah, as part of his, um, as part of his like thing with the headphones, he did like a meet and greet with the fans and it was supposed to last for 20 minutes and it went on for an hour and a half, I think. Um, so he went around every single person was saying hello to them and was talking to them, answering their questions. And then one of the, one of the men there actually, unfortunately said that his, uh, his dad was in hospital and he wasn't very well. Um, and said, will you do a selfie video for me from, for, you know, to show to my dad? And Lewis was like, yeah, no problem. So he did a, he did a video and he said, I'm going to win my next race for you. Um, and all this to, to this guy's dad, which is great. And actually he did win the next race in Mexico, which I was thinking at the time, you've not got the best record in Mexico, Lewis, and the car's not normally very good there. So I think that might be a bit of a push, but he did end up winning there. So that was great. Um, and yeah, it actually, it actually delayed my interview, uh, by spending so much time with the fans, which was quite frustrating at the time but uh, <laughs> it was good to get an insight into his character and, and learn a bit more about him so yeah I think he's definitely the most famous person I've interviewed. Um, have you ever been starstruck at all? I've, I've been starstruck once um, obviously it's kind of like prerequisite that you don't get starstruck when you're doing <laughs> it's meant to be cool yeah, yeah exactly and obviously you've got a job to do and quite often what people don't see with these kind of things is um, like you've got you've got a set period of time with these people and you've not got time to mess around or um you know you've not got time to quite often you've not got time to have a half an hour conversation with them it's like the the pr world is is mad these days and the, you know if you've got an f1 driver on a day it means they've packed in seven hours of pr work on that day to make sure they're maximizing the most out of that day mm. so you never really know what mood you're going to get them in where they're coming from before if they've just been asked a load of really hard questions or whether they've just um thrown pies at each other or something like you never know what kind of vibe they've had before so it's always difficult to know what the first question is going to be and how you approach it because you don't know what the interview was like before um and you know you've only got a short period of time to work with them so it's fine to get star trek after or uh, you know think about it afterwards but in the moment you can't you just not got time to be like that or um it's a worry because if you're starstruck and you miss a cue or you kind of, you, you should have asked a follow, follow up question, but you didn't um, because you were too busy, like being starstruck about Lewis Hamilton, then you're obviously not doing your job properly. And 
in a, in a way kind of making yourself look a bit silly or you're not maximizing the opportunity that's been given to you so um there's a lot, there's a lot to think about when you're interviewing people like that and you can't really get starstruck but one of my, <laughs> my, my earliest motorsport memories is watching nascar with my dad and it was always a big deal because nascar's on so late and obviously it's america so over here some of the races are so late um I, rem- I remember in yeah exactly so in 1997 i know it was 1997 because i know exactly which race it was um i was allowed to stay up past my bedtime to watch uh, jeff gordon win a nascar race and he was my favorite driver and i've interviewed him twice now actually both on the phone but the first time i found out i was interviewing jeff gordon i was just like just freaking out <laughs> properly freaking out because I was like I, I know what I've got to do I've got all this job to do and um you know I think I'm quite lucky in the sense that I can usually approach these kind of these kind of things really pragmatically and um you know don't get flustered or luckily don't get starstruck very often but it's but, so nice it shows you're passionate though you're still going to have that excitement otherwise there's no point doing so. it is it no no I think I think I think you're right I think it's good to show passion and to you know to be able to be friendly with these drivers when you do speak to them and and, and build that rapport because it's an important part of you know it's an important part of um, making sure you get what you need from them as a as a journalist so yeah uh, there is a there is a positive aspect to it but it's just yeah it's just one of them things I think um, Jeff just kind of connects me to uh, like one of my earliest memories of, of motorsport and it feels quite um, it feels like quite a raw connection I imagine it's like the first time you ever got in a car or you're like your first motorsport memory that's kind of what it feels like to me and it it feels really um quite emotional actually not like to the point where i'm going to cry but just because it's like you know motorsports played such a massive part in my life and it's mm. you know it's a massive part of every day of my life as well like i wake up in the morning and i've got an email from someone or i'm i'm spending the day working or i'm writing a story or i'm doing a feature that day and to me it doesn't really matter if it's about formula one or if it's about you know I think the most fun I've had in ages was I wrote a feature about Formula Rally which was a one-off championship that happened in 2001 and it was like British level so you know I'm not not turning my nose up but in comparison to Formula One like it's quite a small national championship and I had more fun writing that than I've had writing a lot of things recently so um, I think it's important just to just to kind of reflect on what you do and not get too caught up and you know, like caught in a bubble of what you're doing and, and try and take every, you know treat everything equally and I, I just try and enjoy every day as much as I can and you know blessed to have the opportunity as um, cheesy as that sounds but not at all no so know. many people forget it you get so wrapped up in it so it's, it's so good to be grounded isn't it yeah definitely I think it's a I think it's an important thing to have as a journalist as well because there's I think there's journalists out there who are guilty of making stories about them or making videos or podcasts that that's, that ends up being more about the journalist like my, my biggest qualm is when journalists or presenters they ask a question that's like oh, 10 minutes long or nightmare yeah. yeah they don't actually ask the people questions they just talk over them exactly and it's like the the reason you're doing this interview is because the other person is the one who's interested in so you know quite often i'll ask stupid questions or short questions because i want a certain answer out of someone and like i think there's people out there who get to a point where they think that journalism is about asking the fanciest question with the biggest words in and mm. you know spending the longest amount of time and like asking a question just really doesn't work like that and especially if you're like if you're not basically if you're not sky f1 then you're not going to get that much time with with the kind of top people um and the same if you're not wrc tv or um if you're not working with channel five in formula Three or whatever it is whatever championship you, you're talking about channel four with w series it's all the same um you're not always 
lucky enough to get so much time with with these people and you have to you have to maximize it and yeah i think i always try and just think beforehand like um what the best way to approach things is and and not think too much about yourself it's about getting the job done what is the job here it's getting the best possible quotes out of this driver that i can possibly get and tell me about your own competition as well like so you have competed i think i've done a few rallies when you were yeah i have done quite a few actually when you've been in the coal yeah so i think um so the first time I competed was uh, 2016. I did the Lee Holland Memorial Stages at Anglesey, which is a single venue event at the, at the circuit there. Uh, we won it, amazingly. Um, yes, I remember you doing it. Came... Yeah, I remember you doing it because yeah. you won. I won my class that day. I was sixth overall, but I won Yeah, class. so I'm better than you, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that came about because um, the guy who obviously was driving Ashley Field he uh he put on his Facebook that he wanted a co-driver and I just commented like something jokey with like an emoji like if you need someone I'm there yeah so yeah I remember I remember the first days like it was yesterday um here's a Darien so it had a 2.5 litre Millington in it it was absolutely mental launch mm. control everything and I had my like my little clipboard it was probably like all the gear no idea like the <laughs> clips with the pencils in and like my rubber and everything and I was like oh I've got no idea what I'm doing but I've got all the equipment and then we went off the start line it was so quick literally the clipboard flew out of my hand no. and it went under it had one of these like tray inserts in the footwell and it went under the footwell no how oh, you... I am like strapped so tight into things it's so quick and it's just so important to make sure you get your belts done, belts done properly when you're in a car that quickly or any car but especially this one and then the yeah the clipboard just went under the footwell so it was an absolute nightmare I managed to like fish it out eventually with my foot and my my hand but oh yeah it wasn't too bad luckily I knew Anglesey quite well because I've been reporting on events there for like two years so I was really lucky that it happened there and not somewhere else but yeah, yeah luckily we went on yeah splits on easy anglesey um there's one that's left right left which catches people out every single time because normally splits are left left right or right right left so yeah there's there's, there's a particularly uh horrible one at anglesey which is left right left which catches a lot of people out but yeah um that was my first time competing and i'd never done any competition before that and i never would have been able to if i hadn't been for working for motorsport news so that was amazing and then not long after that i actually did the woodpecker stages which uses uh, Radner, which used to be on Rally GB and stuff like that. So that would be a stage that a lot of people know if they follow rallying. Um, and that was a bit mental. That was in a two-litre Fiesta ST, and I just wasn't ready for it. I didn't do any testing. I hadn't driven the car before. We left for the first stage. Hadn't met my co-driver before. Um, so, yeah, it was just all a bit of a – it was great, and I loved every minute of it. It was fantastic. But I just wish I'd been more prepared for it. Um, after that, I've done – every single neil howard stages at Alton park with paul o'neill touring car driver so yeah. we're quite good friends me and paul and we just do it for a bit of fun really um it started off as we were trying to do a bit of advertising for the championship and now we're just kind of like a permanent fixture on the calendar we just turn up every year just expecting our car to be ready and for us to go so um i have to give a big shout out to paul shared for looking after us every single year his master is nice always, always looked after us and he's he is like if I was going to do want to go and do a feature about what a clubman should be in motorsport, he'd be pretty high up there on the agenda. I think he's a he's a top guy. Um, so yeah, that was in that's in the motorsport new circuit rally championship that we do we do every year. And then apart from that, I've done a couple of events with Ryan Champion, and he was like a bit of a hero of mine growing up. Try not to tell him too much or uh, sorry, speak to him about it. I won't, I won't mess John yeah. to sorry. No, no, please don't, please don't. Um, but yeah, like the early two thousands was kind of the first time I kind of got into the British rally championship 
because um, I was born in 92, so I was only like 10 at this point. But this is, I'd, I'd like, like NASCAR and the World Rally Championship and stuff a little bit earlier, but hadn't really like dabbled in any like national stuff. So the British Rally Championship, like early 2000s was, was mega. And then I kind of followed that through the, like to the mid 2000s, late 2000s. And Ryan was, you know, pretty good around that time. Won one of the Mitsubishi uh, single mate championships, uh, won some of the big rallies at the time when all the, you know, when all the top drivers are competing. So um, we've done a couple of events. We did one in his Evo, um, or not his Evo. It's actually one that we borrowed at Croft. And uh, we basically went off at the first corner, which was a hairpin made out of cones. And um, before we got to the corner, we were facing where we'd come from <laughs> because he he was we, the tires were terrible to be fair they were freezing and it was croft so it was basically ice um yeah. but ryan this, this is this is why Jack i love competing yeah, yeah i think Jack it was yeah, yeah yeah um well it's actually the christmas stages but that's just the one the one that's just before so um it was christmas stages and yeah the, the reason why i knew i was in the car with like a proper driver was because he'd worked out 200 yards before we got to the corner that things were wrong and he'd already <laughs> like been on the handbrake and had the car pointing at the corner exit so we lost like we lost like half a second max whereas like a normal driver would have lost like a few seconds there going off the track and like yeah losing their head and stuff he was like already on the handbrake like 200 yards before the corner because he knew we weren't going to make it slid the car in and then we were just out of the corner and before i knew what had happened like we were already into the next corner so um and yeah he nearly killed me at, um at, light and last year Casually as well and he just pop that in. Yeah. tried to throw me into a barrier at one point um funny funny thing with ryan he always uh the, the dangerous side is always the co-driver side for him um, well i'm pretty sure that's standard procedure anyway apart from actually my worst crash was definitely on my side and that was rather expensive but in any case so what's your thoughts on what everyone's going to do once corona passes and we don't know at the moment it's all very unknown but how do you think this is going to affect motorsport in your opinion um big question sorry yeah it is a big question um i think a lot of it's going to depend on how much money people have really because obviously this period is going to going to you know is already impacting people quite quite heavily um obviously a lot of people have been you know have been put on leave and are only earning 80 percent of their wages and stuff like that and you know there's a lot of competitors out there um who people will look at uh, maybe look at an entry list and go oh that person's got a lot of money but then this coronavirus period is really hitting some businesses hard even if they are bigger businesses and it'll be it'll mean you know some competitors don't have as much money as they would have done before to compete um and their companies will be worse off so it's a really um it's a really difficult period um and also it's kind of uh, some people are benefiting business-wise out of this and some people are really being hit hard and it's difficult to know which ones are which and you know all of the whole array of sort of the economic spectrum are going to be involved in motorsport in some way shape or form so it's a really difficult one in the sense that we don't know what's going to happen when the lockdown you know is over because some people are going to have money and some people aren't so i think obviously motorsport's going to resume i think um i think national motorsport um there'll be a lot of people who take a little while to get back going again and maybe it'll be the 2021 season or midway through the 2021 season where we start seeing um you know grassroots and, and lower kind of national championships coming back to where they were before because it's just going to take a little bit longer for people to have the disposable income to to deal with what's happened over the over the past few months but in general i think um 
I think a lot of championships, a lot of the bigger championships out there, realizing that um, you know esports is a, a big, big area that they should be concentrating on because you've got teams like let's let's take Formula One for example. You've got Williams; um, they rely pretty much solely on sponsorship money, and where every single sponsor wants to activate is the kind of the youth market. So anyone under 25, that's where they want to be hitting. That's where esports is. So motorsport's been in this bubble for so long now where a lot, the majority of people who compete, the majority of people who read about it, the majority of the people involved are older, a lot mm. older than us. We're obviously the, you know, I don't know how you feel when you walk around like a rally service park or whether you walk around a, you know, a circuit paddock, but I, I'm almost always one of the youngest people there. Mm. If not, if it, you know, unless it's like a junior championship or something specifically where you've got like a group of younger people, but a lot of the, like a lot of the competitors and a lot of the, um, you know, like a lot of the organizers, a lot of the volunteers and stuff are, are a lot older. So esports is going to give us an opportunity if it's, you know, if it's um, sort of capitalized on is, is the right word, I guess. Um, you know, if, if these big championships really get involved in esports and, and, and treat it properly, um, you know, it's a great opportunity to really get some people involved in motorsport that wouldn't have done it before the lockdown period because they're, you know, they've learned a lot more about motorsport because they've been playing on a PlayStation or playing on a sim or whatever they've been doing. So it's a, in, in that sense for motorsport, it's a big opportunity to access, you know, a bit of the audience that they probably wouldn't have had before. Um, and yeah, from a, like a, from a competition point of view, I think, I don't think we'll really know the answer of what's next until, you know, a little bit after lockdown when people work out how much, disposable income they've got and you know how easy it is for them to compete and then obviously big companies some of them will be wanting to spend some money in sponsorship and some of them won't be so um there'll, there'll be a real mix of, of stuff going on out there so yeah i think the i think the the kind of thing in the media that i that kind of worries me is that well not worries me but i, I kind of think that's a little bit silly it's people kind of think there's this like magical date where lockdown's going to finish yeah. and then immediately everything will go back to normal mm. and especially the big like the big problem motorsport has got in a, in a general sense is that the big championships can't really compete until every single country has the same set of circumstances. So for example, at the minute, Japan are not really in that heavy of lockdown and their, their coronavirus cases are quite low. So if formula one went back racing tomorrow, pretty much, you know, a lot of Japan would be a lot of the Japanese competitors would be okay, Mm. but you can't hold formula one based on the fact that Japan's, you know, not in lockdown at the minute and is, you know, doing doing pretty well in terms of coronavirus cases when the rest of the world is really struggling and they're in travel, you know, travel lockdown. So the the, the thing with motorsport is even when, you know, for example, the British lockdown ends, that's not going to immediately signify that everyone can go and do motorsport. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that need to happen after that where we need to work out what's happening um with with travel and stuff like that. And and also um the other thing is one, one on the day that the lockdown finishes there's not immediately going to be like a hundred thousand people spectator events allowed yeah so yeah. there's there's, there's going to be a transition period in between let's call it day x where the lockdown ends and day y where it's safe to have you know to have big motorsport events again um and in between that gap there's going to be a day where it's okay to have smaller events but not not so much bigger ones so is a uh, there's a lot of questions to ask about this period and I'm sure there's a lot of people scratching their heads, um, you know, in terms of championships trying to work out what they're going to do when, when all this finishes, but we've got a lot of time now. I think we've got at least three weeks to yeah. to sit down and look at the calendar and stuff. And I think, um, 
you know, the clever championships will be making provisions for different sort of circumstances. So they'll be predicting when the lockdown's going to end and when other countries are going to be out of lockdown and, and trying to, you know, plan for each different scenario, which is obviously a little bit head scratching and, and difficult. But yeah, there's just so many businesses around it, isn't there as well? It's not just the competitor, it's the, you know, the businesses that rely on motorsport as well. There's just such a massive knock on effect. Obviously, motorsport is only one small part of the bigger picture, but still absolutely parts and stuff as well like you said you know um you know supplies are a big part of how motorsport works and making sure you can get the right parts and stuff like that's going to be you know just it, the really the smallest things people are just not thinking about it's just mm. the the whole kind of focus is when does lockdown and that means we can go and do stuff again and it's really so much more complicated than that and i'm not saying that in a negative way no, um, it's, it's quite obviously right. it's uh, it's it's one of those it's one of those things where um you know, motorsport can come back really strongly from this as long as it, you know, reacts to what's happening properly and and builds on it. And it's it's a it's a difficult set of circumstances for everybody. But um, you know, I think just uh, you know thinking that motorsport is just going to happen straight after the lockdown is just unrealistic. And it's in in the sense of it's not going to happen the day after the lockdown finishes. There's going to be a transition period, and that's where. Um, you know, it's going to be really important how Motorsport UK involve themselves with with that period in terms of national motorsport in the UK. And there'll be thousands of other motorsport governing bodies out there doing the same thing for, for their championships as well. And, um, you know, and then when you move up the, the kind of tiers, like the FIA, have got big, big decisions to make about Formula One and Formula One, um, you know, fund management, Liberty Media, they've got big decisions to make because, you know, another thing for them is, do, do they really want to go back racing when people are still getting coronavirus and, and still in hospital? You know, it's not really, you know, that's an ethical question that's not been addressed. That is something that, you know, is, is going to be asked, have to be asked, um, you know, before racing gets going again. So there's lots of ethical questions and, you know, a lot of that is up to people like me to ask the questions and, and find out what the answers are. So, um, you know, this is a, this is a time where I hope people really sort of rate journalism and, um, you know back it because there's so many people who want to get everything for free online these days which you know it's fair enough i don't hold anything against those people because obviously i want to get everything for free as well if it's any part of life obviously if i can have something for free yeah I'm have it. what you do though jack is just you actually you go through everything properly you get your facts you report efficiently and you know you spread the word whereas there's so much fake news out there at the moment and just people just just reading the first line of an article and then they're taking it from that whereas you're doing it you know the, the job properly so there's no one better than yourself and uh team around to try and get the uh, the right information so i was just gonna say you played me up perfectly there so <laughs> buy all the stuff that jack writes <laughs> <laughs> if anyone does get to the end of this podcast which they might do to listen to you but not for me uh, <laughs> not they, for they might have uh, something to take away from it yeah for sure yeah buy newspapers and everything that jack's doing but um yeah i think well, we're gonna have to uh definitely buy a sim i think because it, yeah it's gonna be a long time until we can get back out to um competing but honestly like jokes aside you've made some really valid and interesting points is there anything else that you think is worthwhile adding no um i just think um it's important in this in this period where everyone's thinking about you know it's we've got this period of time where it's free we've got free time a lot of people aren't working and a lot of people are you know have got mornings and, and evenings so you know have ideas be thinking about what motorsport can be doing and, and raise those ideas at the public because you know it's not um i think we've got i think motorsport has got this problem especially in the uk where it just expects somebody bigger or someone more important to fix it mm. um and I think a lot of the problems that motorsport has could be fixed with a better attitude, i.e. not just blaming everybody else for doing stuff wrong, 
actually take some responsibility for what is happening. Um, you know, it's not always your fault or it's not always, um, you know, there's not always someone to to blame in that sense um, in your like close circle or anything like that, but just take a bit of responsibility for the fact that, you, you know, you're competing in motorsport and you've got a voice. So use that voice, you know, voice your opinion and, and make it known and um, be, be thinking about what motorsport can do because it's going to be a, it's going to be a proper human effort when this is over to safeguard motorsports future and work out what we can, what we can be doing better, you know, as a community in terms of motorsport um, once this is all over. So I think, uh, I think this is a great period where people can, like I said at the start, really look inwardly and think about what we can be doing to, to help each other and what we can be doing to help the sport as a whole. And it doesn't necessarily have to come from the person who's in charge of motorsport, you know, these ideas, you know, quite often in small businesses, the, the best ideas come from people at the bottom. So I think that's, um, that's something to think about. Yeah, it's very valid point. Yesterday, you've got to force your opinions, but take responsibility and make it happen. But Jack, I think that's everything. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us. Yeah, no problem. Woohoo, you got to the end. Well done. I hope you found that interesting. I certainly did. I'm just planning my next podcast. So if you want to get in touch and leave any comments, then please just get in touch on my Instagram, Jade Paveley Motorsport. Thank you to the podcast sponsors, Forest Experience, Rally School and Test Venue and Group B Motorsport. Stay safe. Speak soon.